Good morning, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Culture Shock Podcast. I'm your host, David. Today, my guest is Stephanie, or as you might better know her in Magic Circles, Vegas Vamp. Stephanie and I had some really fascinating conversations, uh, firstly opening with her experience and growing up around real-life exorcisms. I was completely floored by all the insight and information that she shared with us. We also talked about the need to disconnect from not just phones and social media, but just technology in general and finding ways to root ourselves in the present and in nature. And of course, then we talked about as well, sort of long-term goals, um, putting talents and skills to the best usage, not only for ourselves, but for others. Um, it was such a great conversation and Stephanie is one of those people who has such a large heart and it shows and so I really appreciated her time and the conversation that we had. The other thing I would like to bring up before this episode airs is sometimes as is the nature of the beast when you're doing a show almost entirely over the internet you have con- you're, you're a slave to uh, and beholden to the connectivity gods. And sometimes you have connection issues that will cause artifacts or skipping. And you'll find some of those in the uh, episode about to air. However, there's also a bit of weird sounds that I really can't explain that do uh, sort of find themselves buried in the background, especially as we talked about certain topics. So um, I'm sure I'm reading way too much into it and I've seen too many bad horror movies, but it was just uh, having recorded this episode a few weeks ago and just now listening back to it, it was uh, interesting to say the least as I was trying to edit some of the more egregious artifacts that were occurred by some of our connectivity issues. To hear some of the whirling sounds and murmurs was a bit just, uh, I guess, off-putting is the best way to say it. So with that being said, and without further ado, my guest today, Stephanie, a.k.a. Vegas Vamp. So, first and foremost, welcome. Thank you for coming on the podcast. We have known each other from sort of the internet community and and uh, Damien Echoes live streams and, and Patreons and what have you for a little while now. And you've always been so supportive of folks in in the magic community. And uh, I I always I have very complicated feelings about when I say community, but but in the truest sense in the sense of like-minded people getting together and being supportive of one another, I think that your behavior online is exemplary and it should be an example by which other folks should carry themselves in particular, if it's important for them to be part of or create a community. Yes. So so what is it, I mean, for you, where did you, where did your sort of magical journey begin? Back when I was about six or seven, I was raised in a Pentecostal church. Mm-hmm. And um, I was taught how to do exorcisms <laughs> way back then when I was wow. six and seven years old. And mm-hmm. I kind of, yeah, I kind of knew that there was something there um, more than what I was being taught um, because as you know, with a lot of religions uh, that are mainstream, they kind of plateau and they kind of stay in one spot and get stagnant and they don't expand their minds and they don't kind of level up at all. Um, 
that's when I started kind of thinking, you know, after my third or fourth exorcism, I was like, there has to be more to life than this. You know, there has to be something else that I'm missing. And I started looking around and researching different religions. And I was like, "Mm, oh, maybe I should kind of go into something like, you know, I started looking into Wicca and things like that. And I was like, there's definitely something there, but I feel like there's still something missing. And Mm -hmm. that's when I kind of did some more research and I found, found Damien. And that's when I started really listening to his, his talks and learning from him and kind of figuring everything out figuring myself out because what he was talking about really resonated with me this is a long time ago you know Mm -hmm. and I was like well I can use what I learned in the church but also kind of expand that and see what else there is to life and it's been a long time since I started my journey with that and it's worth it. I've been through a lot of different things. I've, I've got some really crazy things that, that have happened to me, you know, while I was doing exorcisms. You know, I, I've done them on people. I've done them on houses. I've done them on land. Um, I've done them on multiple people at the same time. Um, wow. I've been followed by, by presences, you know, by demonics and things like that. But when I started working with the Solomon Keys is really when I kind of realized, you know, that you don't have to get rid of them. You can work with them. Right. You know, they don't have to be separate from you because we're all connected to everything. And I just want people to know that. I mean, I, I look at people now that don't practice this and I cry because I see they're really missing something. They're going out there and they're filling their heart and their soul and their mind with things that are empty. And I just want that message to be known that people need to see what this is and that it's true. And it's real and that's important to me yeah i mean it, get choked up over it even now <laughs> yeah no it's very evident yeah. um so like i i always find it interesting because when we talk about mainstream religions almost almost inevitably we focus on um some offshoot of of uh, an abrahamic religion or christianity in particular especially in america mm-hmm. and i've mm-hmm. always found having been raised catholic and then at some point switching to a church of Christ church before moving away from Christianity, that the different denominations tend to latch onto one aspect of what they perceive to be religion. And they sort of focus their energy around that particular path. I don't know very much about Pentecostal, but I would imagine to some degree, it seems like it's focused on uh, the miracle work. I mean, just by virtue yeah. of the fact that you mentioned exorcisms, I think for the average person, they think exorcists and they think like the movies and horror films yeah. and things of that nature. What, yeah. what was sort of the focus of the Pentecostal church and, and can like, what are some of the, maybe the mis- misunderstandings that people have when it comes to thinking about exorcism and what that entails and what that really is? Basically, um, sometimes the movies like The Conjuring and things like that, those are real. Um, I have worked with the Warrens before. Uh-huh. Um, a lot of things that they have done and even what their, um, what their, their daughter and their grandson and everyone does now, um, they, they focus more on the religious side, uh, the Christian base and things like that. But you have to realize that everything isn't based around that because, you know, the Bible has been changed so many times 
and the things that a lot of people do when it comes down to religion and exorcism and things of that nature, they don't see the full picture and they just focus on the one thing. Like you said, it's kind of based all off of the changed scriptures and things Mm -hmm. like that. But you have to go all the way back to, to the beginning you know, if you want to get to the to the end, you know, and to be able to help somebody to get that situation away from them. A lot of exorcisms, people that are that are possessed, it's all a mental thing. And sometimes it's, it's a psychological situation, more, more so than it is a religious or a spiritual situation. So you have to kind of know what to look for and know what signs to look for when it comes down to it. Oh, and okay. Mm-hmm. There's, there's just so much more involved than what people say and just seeing it and experiencing it myself I just I don't want people to know that you know there's more to it than the violence and you know the hurt and the pain because a lot of people hurt more in their head and in their heart than they do spiritually because it, it, when things attach to you like that mm-hmm. it's not always a demonic sometimes it's just a lower energy you know, they don't know how to handle it because they've already got underlying conditions, you know, like schizophrenia and, and anxiety and depression, and things like that. And people need to realize there's more to it, like I said. And people, they kind of go off of what the Hollywood, you know, design it looked to look like because a lot of things in Hollywood. Now, I've, I've been in the industry for a long time, almost 20 years now. And they elaborate more and make things look worse than, than what they can be. And they also, sometimes they get it right. Like I said, the Conjuring films, they go off of their actual cases. And they've actually been on the movie sets, you know, telling them exactly how things were and how they looked and things that happened. And people need to see that it's real. And I, just, I wish people could understand that. <laughs> But it does feel, and I've I've talked about this in other areas where so much of how we base our concept of reality is centered around the way it's portrayed in Hollywood or through entertainment yes. of some form. Um, this idea that art holds a mirror up to society is only partially true, in my opinion. It it does hold a mirror up, but it's often sort of a funhouse mirror contorts and twist images. And of course, look, if you're making a story, as you know, working in the industry, your focus is not truth telling. Your focus is drama. It's, it's tension. It's storytelling. Mm-hmm. Um, in the tickets. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's not your, your, your focus is not trying to actually portray something. It's portraying events in, in such a manner that it's compelling. And that it's captivating for two hours or an hour and a half or whatever the time allotment may be. But because of that, so often the way we think about an ancient practice, like an exorcism, for example, we think of it at like, like the exorcist, right? It's two priests show up and you've got holy water. Yeah. Holy water (laughs) and crosses and, and demons with their heads spinning and spewing green pea soup. And yeah, all those things are kind of what we, assume unless we've experienced it in our in our personal life and so it's really interesting to hear someone who has participated in these events talk about the fact that it's not all what we see in hollywood demons and the devil and satan and all that but that many times it might be it might kind of come down to 
um, mental issues or, or mental health that is fractured or, or going through, um, going through sort of a, a, a down period in someone's mental health. And, and then you add in the normal pressures that society kind of screws into us anyway. I mean, I think, I think it's no secret that this world, the society that we've built isn't really designed for maximum humanness. It's not designed for, for maximum health and mental health and, and uh, expression. It's very much designed around, you know, pushing the buttons and pulling the levers and producing the, the, the widget to then consume. And that is inherently dehumanizing. So I, I would, I could very much see that part of this process, not that it's the whole of it, not that it's completely devoid of what we might, you know, a, a, a layman may recall, you know, uh, supernatural, but that I would have guessed that there's a larger component that is societal, that is mental health based. Yeah, exactly. I completely agree with you. And back to the Hollywood thing, um, they just, they want people to go to the movies and they want to make back all that money and make billions of dollars off of it. And it, they don't see that there's more to it. There's so much more involved than showing up at somebody's house with holy water and crosses and saying, you know, telling the demon to leave. And, you know, there is a risk there. Sometimes it is real. Sometimes there is a demonic attached to someone. But when I was going to school, I have my doctorate degree in this. And when I was in my first couple of years, I had to take psychology classes to see, to be able to see the difference and to understand that not everyone is influenced by a force. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's all a force in your mind mm -hmm. and people need to see that, you know, and I, I just, I want people to know that I have experienced those things. I've, I've experienced all of it, you know, the, the psychological side, you know, the, the real demonics, and things like that. And, and I've, I pulled demonics out of my husband before mm -hmm. and I, I know what it's like, you know, he has underlying psychological conditions. So sometimes the lower energies, they prey on that as well. And they see a weakness and they kind of attach themselves to it and, and kind of become that person. And it's just something never, everybody needs to see at some point. You know, to understand, you have, you have to be there to understand it fully. You have to experience it yourself or know someone that experienced it enough to the point where you get it. So I completely yeah. agree with you. What, um, what, what was the, how old were you when you first started experiencing and contributing to working with people during an exorcist? Um, I witnessed my first one when I was seven mm. and I did my, my first of a real possession when I was 15. Mm -hmm. I, I asked that because it feels like for, again, to sort of go back to this idea of people sort of needing to experience certain things in order to not only just understand them intellectually, but like emotionally as well. Emotionally. To really, yeah. To really, to really empathize with what the situation is. And, um, and I bring it up because I personally have never really encountered uh, what people commonly refer to as ghosts or or anything along those lines, but I've known plenty of people who have, and so for a large portion of my life, although I've never truly been what I would say a skeptic, 
I've also sort of never been a, a, a deep believer only in, only because I haven't experienced it. So it's like, exactly. there's, there's that intellectual disconnect between mm-hmm. I have read something, I, I've seen the data and I can make an opinion about it versus I've experienced this. And because of my experience, I'm able to really relate to it and understand it on a deeper mm-hmm. level. Um, that being said, I've known people who have had multiple encounters with uh, spirits or energies or forces that, again, to the layman would be called supernatural. And they, and, and I could look in their eyes and see the earnestness in their belief. It feels like there are very few avenues by which those experiences can be shared for people to at least, you know, from a, from a sort of third person perspective, come to understand what those things entail. And, and sort of unravel some of the myths surrounding them. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Everyone needs to unravel that myth and they need to experience it themselves. At some point, um, I have experienced a lot of possessions, not only demonic, but poltergeist. Um, mm. The first time I was attacked by a full, a, full, a full apparition poltergeist, I was 12 years old. Wow. And just just being there in person feeling it you know something is there and you not only see it but you can feel it i mean i was pushed down the steps like a flight of stairs by something that i couldn't see mm-hmm. and when i got up off the bottom of the steps like it pushed me like fully down the stairs like like i was at the top of the steps and it just I felt hands on my shoulders and it just pushed me down the steps. And when I got up, I had fallen all the way down the stairs. When I gotten up, I looked up and I seen it standing up there. Like it was like, it looked like a specter of some sort. Like it was mm. white and had long flowing hair. And, you know, it was a full apparition. And that's when I knew that it was real because I, I seen it firsthand. I've seen all the old, you know, scary horror movies. You know, I used to, I grew up on that kind of stuff. You know, I grew up with movies. That's why I kind of went into the industry when I was old enough. Mm-hmm. And just just seeing something that I thought didn't really exist, you know, it really not only took a, a part of me, but it put something into me to want, like a hunger to want to experience more and to understand it and to see it for myself, you know, to make that decision within myself that it was real right yeah I, w- I would imagine that being so i often said that what we sort of need as a society is to reintroduce the enchantment into life um that that yes. we've we've really very much stripped all the not just the magic as we understand it to be but like in the global sense the magic the enchantment the wonder we've we've pulled that out of life but for every light side, there's a dark side. And part of that enchantment, part of that magic, part of that, that um, incorporeal energy is not always positive. It's not always love and light that there is, and it doesn't mean it's inherently bad per se, but, but there's a darker side to things. And I would imagine that being exposed to that at such an early age and, Mm -hmm. and um, having those experiences at an early age would then allow you to have a different view of the world and to be able to navigate these waters in a way that is substantially different than the average person who doesn't believe in 
Santa Claus, doesn't believe in anything, doesn't believe that there's anything beyond what's tangible and in front of them, doesn't believe in God, right? We've killed God. But because you've seen beyond the veil, you've seen beyond what the average person sees, you could then make the make the concerned effort to live your life in accordance to what you see in the world. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of like I think part of the reason why I'm able to kind of accept everything like that easier than some people that I've met is because I have passed. I've died a few times in my life. Mm. Um, first, oh, actually about five times. First time was when I was um, being born into this life. Um, I was born blue and they had to resuscitate me. They lost me and my mother at the same time mm. and the fight for both of us. Um, that was the first time I flatlined. The second time I drowned when I was four years old. Uh, they had to do CPR on me. Mm. And uh, when, when after that happens, when I kind of started being able to astral project, uh, that was like the, maybe like a week or so after I, they had um, re- released me from the hospitals when I did my first uh, full projection. And I started being able to see, you know, um, so accepting all of that and knowing that, yes, um, when someone dies and they come back, that veil gets thinner every time. And the third time that I died, uh, I was 16 and I had a heart attack. Wow. And I completely flatlined because I, I have um, I have lupus, you know, and it causes a lot of health problems. Mm-hmm. And um, it, it uh, kind of opened my eyes and made me see that the reason why I'm here is to help others understand. And the fourth time, um, I was in the hospital for a whole month because of having the autoimmune disorder. Um, I just got sick so fast. It was in 2009, a really close friend of mine died. And after that, uh, after he had, uh, we were really good friends and after he died, um, my health just kind of went down, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, like I got stressed out. That's why I can't really be around stressful situations because it it makes me sick. Mm -hmm. So I went to the hospital and I was in there for a whole month. And that's when they did my first heart surgery on me. And um, one day I woke up, they had me in a medically induced coma. I woke up and I see like 20 doctors and nurses all around me. And the only thing I noticed was that my shirt was open. I was like, I'm thinking, okay, why is my shirt open? And I seen all these people and I had those shock pads on. They had to shock me <laughs> to, oh. to bring me back. And that was, I remember vaguely, complete darkness all around me. And a bright light, like way up in the top corner of the room. And as it, the, the, the light started getting bigger, everything kind of, it just kind of went all around me and around the hospital bed that I was in. And that's when I realized, you know, there is dark and light because I was involved in some really, really bad things. I was very self-destructive back then in my twenties. I had gotten alcohol poisoning three times. Mm-hmm. Um, I was doing a lot of hard drugs and things that, I, that you shouldn't do. And 
I didn't really care because I was tired of seeing things, <laughs> tired of doing exorcisms on people and having them follow me because I didn't really know anything about protection or anything like that. And that was never really taught about protecting myself. I had to learn that myself. Right. And when I started doing that, protecting, you know, doing the whole magician protection, that's when I started to see that everything happens for a purpose and a reason. And I think, I honestly believe 100% in my heart that my purpose is to bring others to that light and to see as many people as, I, as possible stop reincarnating and to transcend. And I think that's why I died so many times was to see, yeah, this is a human body. This is a vessel, but I'm not really this, what you see. I'm something bigger and brighter than that. And I just want to be that light for others. So that's why I'm here. <laughs> and that's why I would love to help as many people as I can. Because like I said before, I get so sad when I see people that don't understand this. No, well, I have a reason. <laughs> yeah, and it, and you know, if you look historically at figures who have, um, be they prophets or they've played a role in 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 um, shining a light on things that folks either either willfully or otherwise don't see, they're oftentimes people whose whose history is littered with tragedy or hardship, you know. Um, bumps in the roads every every great you know hero's journey starts with bumps in the road starts with stumbling starts with flaws starts with um perhaps even a self-destructive streak but it's 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 by it's by it, it's almost like the the opposite icarus right rather than flying close to the sun you're you're flying close to the darkness oh yeah I didn't even, that, that's a complete circumstance she she has a icarus switch shirt on um Jason's my best friend. Yeah, you flirt, you float <laughs> close to darkness, and from that you can recognize, you know, you can recognize the light. There's a scene at the end of, um, I think it's the very last episode of the first season of True Detective, where they're talking about the darkness, mm -hmm. and um, you know, without the darkness, you can't see the stars. You can't, you can't see the celestial uh, miracles that exist in the sky without the darkness. They would just be over illuminated and you'd see nothing it's almost like walking outside after having been in the dark and the sun's bright and you can't see anything in front of you or if we if we look at uh plato's allegory of the cave if you can imagine someone escaping that first moment out of the cave would be completely blinding and overwhelming yeah. but it's but it's from that it's from that yeah. shift from dark to light that you're able to have the greatest perspective on every facet of the world. And then, and then if one chooses, be able to use that insight to then share it with others, you know, again, to go back to the allegory of the cave, the idea is the philosopher who escapes the cave is then, is then sort of beholden to help others escape, wake up, see, see the world beyond which they, beyond just the shadow puppets on the wall. And so I, as, as difficult mm -hmm. as that life, sounds with multiple brushes with death and you know self-destructive streaks and just 
um, you know, my aunt has lupus, so I, I understand at least to some degree, like the, the effect that it can have on one's life. You go through all of that, but on the other end of it, you're able to have the perspective to rise above the mirror of mundane drama, complications, petty arguments, um, you know, bullying, nonsense that you yeah. see, not just online, but everywhere in the world. And, exactly. And, and because of your experiences, you realize that this, it's trivial. And much of, much of the things that we spend and, and expend our energy on in this world are just trivial matters that don't hold any greater uh, divine m- meaning. Exactly. Completely agree with you 100%. And like I said, people have to see it for themselves. I mean, with their own eyes. I mean, they can sit and watch as many movies as they want about things that happen in the world and until they go out there and see it for themselves. That's, that's one of the main reasons why I wanted to come down here to New Orleans. Yeah. I mean, like, I've been wanting to come down here since I was 16. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm going to be 40 in a couple years. So I was like, okay, this is it. I need to go. I don't care. I'm going to go down there as soon as possible. And, um, I mean, I got this tattoo of the same symbol on my arm when I was 16 because I, I just uh, I felt such a connection to this place. And I, I just wanted to come down here so bad. Now that I'm here, just the first day that I got here, it's almost been a month since I've gotten here, surprisingly, wow. already. The first day I was here, I just seemed just like a light, like a bright light, just like around the entire skyline of downtown. And no matter how many times I see that place, I just can't get enough of it. You know, it's just, I spend days just walking around here, just looking at everything, just meeting all these people and just seeing it. And it's just, it's like a separate world away from everything else. And it's just so deep. I mean, everybody needs to see this place at least once in their life. And I'm from Las Vegas, so I've seen a lot of a lot of people, a lot of places, and I was a stage manager out there for different bands, and and um, for a long time I wanted to move back there, but until I made the decision to move here, doors just kept opening up for me for me to come down here. Right. So it was it was just absolutely amazing. I just want to dig my roots in here. It's just it's one of those places that you just you when you get here you feel like you're home, and. That's what I've been looking for my whole life is a place where I can call my home. And this is it. <laughs> just I, glad. I'm so happy. I, I mean, I, I have not yet had the opportunity to, to visit New Orleans. I've wanted to my entire life. And it's, it's funny because I grew up not so far from it. I mean, I grew up in South Texas, which is just a drive along the coastline away. Uh, and I, I, I had meant to go through it on my way back from Georgia a few years ago. Um, or I guess, wow, I mean, it seems so much longer. It was in 2020. Um, but but the hurricane hit, the most recent yeah. hurricane that hit, um, uh, I think it ended up hitting Texas, but, you know, that, that sort of run, ran along that coastline there. Yeah. But I would imagine the juxtaposition between Vegas, which I've been to many times, and uh, which has sort of that, there's like, there's like, there's two Vegases to me. There's 
there's old Vegas. There's like the Vegas underneath the surface, underneath the pavement. And then there's mm-hmm. the Vegas that the average person sees like uh, the, the oomps, oomps clubs yeah. and, and uh, the whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but, but it's still rooted in that sort of artificiality mm-hmm. in many regards mm-hmm. um, versus what I imagine New Orleans to be, which is more representative of the South, which I'm, where I'm from, wherein there's an, there's an authenticity in the soil that you just can't help but feel. There's, a, there's an electricity in the yeah. air that you can't help oh, but walk through. And there's a scent in the air that, that makes you realize that you're breathing in the same air that these historical figures once did. You know, you're walking, I mean, and I guess the truth, that's true anywhere, but it just feels different in certain areas. And, and based on my experiences, you know, visiting or working or living in cities in the South, it always seems a bit stronger along there, especially along the Gulf for some reason. I don't know what it is about the Gulf of Mexico, but there's, it does seem like those cities that border it just have this extra something to them. I I think the reason why it's like, that's because the, the South and mostly like, like Texas and Louisiana and Georgia and Florida, you know, I, I've been to every state except for Alaska and Hawaii. Mm-hmm. And I think I've felt so many different things in so many places, but I think the reason why the very, very Southern before you get to South America, I think the reason why it feels like that is because um, these states are like a conduit for energy and for supernatural and just for so many different religions. You know, it's like a magnet for everything. And everything just kind of stems from here, you know, and and it's like, it might have something to do with ley lines, but I, I honestly believe that they leave a piece of themselves here because of how spiritual this place is. And that's one of the reasons why I decided to come here in the first place when I was so young. I mean, I used to watch movies about this place and, and read books about it. And I was like, well, this has to be the place to be <laughs> because yeah. of how, how deep the roots are here. And I, I go to Congo Square often. Um, you know, it's in Louis Armstrong Park. Um, I go there all the time and just take my shoes and socks off and ground myself in the middle of that square. And all my pain, like, I don't know how, but all my pain just goes away. Like, I'm, I'm, I have chronic pain from the lupus. And so I'm always constantly hurting, you know, in some way. And when I go there and I ground myself, like, I just, all my pain just goes away. Like, there's something about the energy in that place that just pulls it out of you. And I wish people could experience that and see how strong that energy is, you know, just in general, not just in Congo Square, but every place in the city. Just walking down the street, I mean, everybody's so nice. I mean, I've never been anywhere in my life, all over the country, where people just walk up to you and just say hi to you or give you a hug or shake your hand or tell you to have a good day i mean like people they actually make eye contact with you here and that's a big deal because a lot of people don't do that anymore yeah it's a it always is a a, a bit of frustration on my end where you know living in los angeles i come across people constantly who talk down on the south 
and talk down on you know the people of the South, and you know it's usually tied into some sort of political bias and tribalism and things of that nature. But um, as as much as I love living where I live, there is a like you mentioned, there is a different connection that folks who live on the in the South and I and again I especially think around the coast that is. It, 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 until you experience it, I, I think a lot of people who live on the coast that like to talk their trash and they like to reinforce stereotypes. I, I don't think they understand what they're, what they're really talking about because there's a warmth there. Um, I, I find, I mean, look, there's, there's assholes everywhere, but I, I find that, um, that even if I disagree with someone, politically or spiritually or whatever in the south nine's out nine times out of ten there there can be common ground found and we can enjoy a drink together we can enjoy breaking bread together we can enjoy people's company if for no other reason that people just are are in by their nature kinder you compare that with the average day in a huge city in particular on a coast where everyone seems so so self-absorbed into their own issues or their phone or their own dramas or whatever they're gonna go have for drinks that night and you you miss those moments you know it feels like there's a and i think it's only gotten worse during the pandemic but there is a almost like an invisible barrier between Mm -hmm. folks that doesn't exist in some of these other areas and particularly in the south everybody's kind of stuck in that box yeah they don't want to escape that box because it's safety it's their safe zone so even the six foot distance doesn't apply when you literally cannot speak to someone or acknowledge them when you're walking down the street because a lot of people i haven't seen that much here people stuck in that box everybody's it's like a completely different world like COVID doesn't exist here and yeah, some places require a vaccine card to get in, but I think that's just safety protocol. Mm-hmm. But um, like up north in places like Michigan and Ohio and New York and Pennsylvania and everything, you know, the colder, the colder places, people are colder there <laughs> than they are here. Sure. Um, I, I have been, um, I lived in Burbank for a while. And I, I noticed a lot of people out there are kind of rushing, you know, and they're all addicted to their phones. I mean, there's so much going on. I don't just mean look up at everything around you, look up at the sky. I mean, it's beautiful. I mean, like experience all the planets and the constellations if you keep staring at your phone. It's why I call the people like that zombies because they kind of get stuck, you know, in that mindset, you know, constantly needing to be on their phone because their lives are, are in their phone. But you have to, sometimes you have to turn it off. I turn my phone off for hours, sometimes days, and just sit it down and walk away from it because you can't experience life if you're stuck in that box. I mean, this random guy getting a fountain drink at the, at the gas station, <laughs> he was telling me that we're all God. And that made me kind of realize you don't know who you're talking to. You could be entertaining angels when you're out. You know, you could be talking. You could be speaking to divinity. You know, when you're out. And he, I had a head wrap on because I, I usually have extensions, and I had taken them all out to give my hair a break. And um, 
I was wearing a head wrap, and he said, oh, that's beautiful. You look so holy right now. I was like, really? Like, I look holy. Like, just, just hearing someone, a stranger, tell me that, it made me remember who I am, and it made me see that we are all connected and we're all one. I mean, we may have different bodies, we may have different eyes, but our eyes are all the same and we all see through the same source. I mean, we're just, we're one thing looking out of the eyes of billions of different people. And that's why our eyes are the windows of our soul because our soul, and that's why I'm nice to everybody that I meet. You know, even, even though I've had bad experiences with people, you know, in my life, I've been hurt, I've been abused, things like that. I've been treated like garbage by my own family. But I, I, I let that go and I realized there's a reason that that happened to me. And there's a, it taught me what, the way to be, like how to be myself, you know, to let everything go and just move forward past all that stuff and just don't let what other people think about you determine where you go in, in your path. Because once you're on that path, you can't turn back. And there's no turning back, and you don't want to. You know, it's just you just gotta keep moving forward, like you said, no matter what. And you'll see everything will everything will change for the better. When I I think that there's a couple of things that you touched on that are really important. I I, I strongly believe that um, you know we say that you have to keep moving forward. I think maybe the more inept way to say it is that we have no, we have no uh, choice, but to move forward. We are compelled by life to move forward where we do have a choice is how present and where our eyes are. I think when we talk about things like the cell phone usage or our own concerns, it very much is like just to be, just to hit it right on the nose. It's like, if you went for a walk and you were just staring down at your phone, you might be fine. You might be able to walk from point A to point B without getting hit by a car or walking into a tree or whatever that might occur. But the, but the likeliness that you're not going to cause undue disruption is low. If you're, if you're, uh, and, and by the same uh, token, if we're to reuse this analogy of going on a walk, if you go on a walk, but you're, you're constantly looking over your shoulder as you're walking in a different direction than, than where your eyes are, then again, just like looking downward, you might make it to your destination unscathed, but it's very unlikely. You're, you're more likely to fall in that pothole or whatever it may be. And so, and so I think that we, we as a species have developed this fear of being present. It's a very uncomfortable feeling to be in the moment. It's like, um, what people describe as that uncomfortable silence that they may experience with another person. You and I may be talking. You and I have never talked directly before. We, we interact online, but we haven't had a conversation like we're having now. Mm-hmm. And yet we're able to find something to discuss and to connect further and to share your experiences. And I share my experiences and, you know, we'll yeah. fight, we'll fight through this internet connection and technology issues that we may have, but there's nothing that, that blocks the connection that you and I are forming. But how often are people, I mean, I, I'm guilty of this in some regards too, because how often do you hear people say, oh, I hate being on the telephone. Now there was, they just want to text. 
you know, and I know some people. Yeah, exactly. I know some people who don't even like texting now. They'd rather just message on a, on an app. Like they, like even mm-hmm. the act of texting, although it, it is physically the same thing, their, their comfort level exists on an apparatus versus uh, a more direct line, much less a, a vocal back and forth. And God forbid we actually sit down in person and have a face to face. Exactly. These are things that people are increasingly finding anxiety around. And I think it's a byproduct of, you know, it's the Twittering machine to some degree. It's the way our, our, our news and, and media, which we're both a part of, uh, bombard mm-hmm. us with, with negativity and stressors and, and mm-hmm. uh, fear mongering. And the very act of saying hi to your neighbor or a person walking down the street is for a lot of people, very uncomfortable until they do it, until they immerse themselves into a culture, into an environment, or they create one, which that's normalized. We're sharing and saying, hey, good morning. Sometimes when I walk my dog, I'll say that and I just get these weird looks like, why are they talking to me? You know, and sometimes I get, and sometimes I get a hello back. And then when every time I get a hello back, it is, it is so fulfilling. And, um, you know, I'm still, I still have my phone near me often and I'm trying to get better, but like this morning I went to go walk the dog and I left the phone behind and the entire walk, I felt that just, just a slight tinge of uncomfortableness, but I also saw beautiful leaves on the ground that had changed color in Los Angeles of all places. Right. I had seen, we've gotten Mm -hmm. a lot of rain lately. So I saw puddles of water that had pulled, you know, and, and even though it's still, you know, a concrete landlocked city for the most part, Mr. You know, in Santa Monica, I felt for a little while, like I was somewhere else. And I don't think I would have noticed that if I had been on my phone, even 50% of the time. And I certainly would not have noticed that if I had only just gotten in my car and driven somewhere. You know, there's so many things that we just pass by in the pursuit of convenience, in the pursuit of time, that it it has conditioned us to feel uncomfortable with personal interactions and and staying present. And I know that's a term that gets used sort of frivolously, but I, I think there's merit to it. And so I do think that part of the perception of the south of like a small town slow living right easy living we just start dropping g's that's like you know one time i had a conversation with the country music artist clint black and he gave me a hard time for saying uh he had an album called killing time and i said Mm -hmm. killing time with the g he's like and he looked at me because we're both from texas and he was like brother it's killing there's no g i'm you know and I caught myself because I've been in California for so long that I've lost some of that easy going, right? That take it easy yeah. mentality. And I do think that there's, when you reroute yourself into a, into a, a place that has that sort of egregore, that energy around it, um, the simple act of being in that, just immersing yourself in it can be healing. Uh, and it can be created. I mean, not everyone can move to New Orleans or Texas or wherever, but you can, you can recreate that sense of present moment where you're not caught up in isolation or being atomized, but you're really trying to create some semblance of community, even if 
even if it exists purely in random acts of kindness. Exactly. I, I agree with you 100%. I, I think people can get that present moment back. You know, they just have to realize that everything isn't based around that distraction. I mean, like they, they, one, they feel comfortable being distracted by something. It's like that metaverse. I mean, that's probably going to destroy so many people because they're so caught up already in constantly being on electronics. Yeah. You know, that they're easily going to put on the goggles and, and accept it all and just be there all the time. It's going to be like Ready Player One. I mean, everybody's going to live there. You know, all their money's going to be there. All their interactions are going to be there. And they're just going to be a person sitting in a chair or walking on a treadmill, you know, in some room somewhere in a, in a broken down warehouse, just living their life in this place that's created by a computer. And it's just, it's going to be the fall of society. I mean, that's, I think that's what they mean on, on the Terminator and the Matrix, you know, by, by the machines taking over. Yeah. I think that's what, where it's going to come from. It's just, it's just going to be that. And everybody else, you know, the people like us are going to be out there trying to save everyone that's stuck in this machine, you know, because they're not going to have a choice. They're going to be so caught up in it that they're not going to know which way is up. And they're just going to have to be the ones to help them get them out you know, or be an example to them to show them that they're more, more to life than that. I agree. And I think, um, I mean, myself and Big Nurse did a, a two-parter on it and I, I share those same concerns. And, and I, I think that our generation is sort of, because we're, we're very close in age. I think I'm a year older than you. Um, yeah. You know, our generation is sort of, um, is sort of defined by romanticism in a lot of regards. I mean, we're the generation, this xenial, you know, baby Gen Xer, elder millennial, whatever they want to call us these days, it changes every other year. But we are essentially the folks who are either in power or entering in power. And certainly the younger Gen Xers and the middle aged Gen Xers are, are kind of like the, the industry leaders right now. Mm-hmm. We're the generation that looked backwards you know, uh, we're the generation that brought back bell bottoms and and shaggy hair. We're the generation that brought back uh, the Strokes, you know, and, and that whole garage band up. We're the generation that brought back 80s influence things. And now we're turning to early 90s things. And that's mm-hmm. that is what sort of defines this. Those folks who are like from 35 to 55, that sort of 20 year range. And I bring that up because one of the things that I also think that we romanticize in our own twisted way is this idea that control is going to come uh, with a with a boot on neck and a baton to your head, and I I don't think that's the case. I think we're more we're more we're less like 1984, and we're far more mm-hmm. like Alan Moore's Watchmen. I think yes. that. I think there are a lot of people who who fancy themselves as the watchmen, but but the criminal act, the 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 evil plot, the villain's mastermind, that happened 15 minutes ago. It's it, it's already mm-hmm. done, and it happened a long time yep. ago. And I think that we were born into it. Like again, there there will be people who hear this and they'll roll their eyes, and that's fine. But like, if we use the Matrix as an example. We're a generation born into this society of technology, of technomancy. We just were. Yeah. I mean, we might, we maybe remember a, a little bit of it. You know, maybe we got through our childhood without the excessive use of uh, certainly, you know, I didn't have phones and 
internet till I was a senior in high school, you know, freshman, but, but it still came at a, at a pretty pivotal point in my life. It still came at a point where I was a, a you know, a young adult, you know, transitioning out of adolescence. So my brain is still forming as these new technologies are becoming available. Um, and I think that control does not come at the point of a gun control comes at the point of convenience. Uh, it comes at the point of Amazon prime two day delivery with no uh, fees. It comes at, uh, I mean, hell, I haven't even bought cannabis in person. The last two times I've had to get it. I just pull up an app and they deliver it to my house. I mean, it, it comes, house, yeah. yeah, it mm-hmm. comes at the point of not ever having to leave your house, not ever having to interact. Yeah, yes, exactly. It comes at convenience and convenience is in many ways far more deadly than brute force. And so while so many people are focused on looking for secret agents in the, in the bushes, what they ought to look at is the thing that's sitting in their pocket or in their hand. And when you start introducing things like the metaverse, I, people will sign up for that. No big, no big deal. There'll be a handful of us that will, that will voice concerns. And um, I think, I think that the, that the spectacle, that the system relies on a fringe amount of rebellion to keep the peace. Mm -hmm. So for every one of us that is, that is saying something, what are we, how are we doing it? We get on the internet, type it into Twitter, put it on Instagram, all owned by the same people who are building the metaverse, right? It's just, it's, it's, it's an, it's an allowable anomaly that allows just the, the illusion of, of choice to exist so that people feel complacent enough to just carry on with it. I'll feel like I'm doing something because I put my podcast on the internet and I'll type uh, a, a, you know, a motivational quote on Twitter and I'll share a photo on Instagram. And, and, and that's not to say that those things can't have an impact in an incremental way on folks, but mm-hmm. it, it highlights the fact that we're all part of this system already when we're all serving our role. And the only real true act of being punk rock or rebellion is to, is to slowly try to unplug and unravel oneself from that predestined role and, and to try to be, you know, in the moment, you know, one thing that I'm sure we've, you've heard as I've heard Damien say is that this is both heaven and hell, this earth that we're living in. It's, mm-hmm. it it's is, our, yeah. yeah, it's our choice on, on what we make it and how we view it and how we live it. And if we're hundred percent on this device, the supercomputer, um, look, you might, it, it, you know, you, it might be fine. You might get through life. Okay. But, but you'll be missing all that it offers and all of the possibilities that exist. And I'm not a Luddite. I'm not anti-technology. I just, I just think it's worth at least acknowledging the role that it plays in our life and how it can, and, and, you know, expand upon that in terms of city life and how that can affect us and impact our psyche and impact our emotions mm-hmm. and impact our ability to be the, the, the spark of life in the world. Exactly. Exactly. People need to disconnect at least once a week, maybe twice a week from, especially the people that are on the technology all the time, because mm-hmm. it becomes not only time consuming, but life consuming. 
Mm-hmm. And they need to see that. They need to see that, you know, you need to turn it off sometimes and walk away from it to experience life. And because the same thing with every technology. I mean, I completely understand. I mean, when I was growing up, I was one of the first people in my family to get a Nintendo, like the original Nintendo. And I kind of got addicted to it. And I was on it all the time. My mom always said, put that down, go outside. You know, my, my husband doesn't even have a phone. He refuses to get a cell phone. He walks to work and he walks home from work because he doesn't like taking a Lyft or an Uber. I mean, that's the convenience as well. You could be standing on the corner out in the middle of nowhere, go on your phone and say, hey, can I have a ride? We'll be there in five minutes. You be out in the middle of the desert. Somebody pulls up. Okay, where are you going? You know, that's the yeah. convenience. I mean, you don't got to wait for a cab anymore. You don't got to call for a ride. I mean, do is click a button on an app and somebody shows up at your door i mean like people are addicted to that and Mm -hmm. they're addicted to that convenience and and how good it feels to be in control of everything and it's 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 a poison it's like a it's like a disease like a poison it goes in like it infiltrates into everything it's like it's just just like the like on the matrix you know you, you gotta go in and yes some people are there they're trying to save you to get out of that but at the same time, you have to save yourself. You have to agree to the point of, yes, I don't want to be around these things anymore. Yes, I don't want to be addicted to the convenience anymore and walk away from it. Yeah, I, I might be on Twitter. You know, the reason I'm on Twitter is to stay in contact with some of the people, you know, in our community. Mm-hmm. I'm more on Discord now than I am on anything else. I have an Instagram, but I'm barely on that anymore. I deleted Facebook almost two years ago, and that was one of the best things I ever did in my life because I was on it constantly, 24-7, just scrolling through, looking at old posts from 10, 15 minutes ago. And I need to be, you need to be present in the present moment as much as possible because you're going to miss so much and miss out on so many things if you just look at old things all day and just comment on the same stuff over and over again and see the same news stories and the media feeding you that that media beast i i think that that honestly is the antichrist because people are so addicted to it and it's it's like there's brainwashing you and programming you i mean in order to stay on this path you have to shed everything away everything all that baggage all that old programming you know that you grew up with everything all the news the news that you watched all the tragedy that you dealt with everything that you went through in your life in order to reach the point of completing the magnum opus is you have to get rid of everything Mm -hmm. and i don't just mean your worldly possessions Um, i'm talking about everything that you've learned and you have to relearn everything that you thought was true that's what it means to lean not on your own understanding it means Take everything away that you understand, that you think you understand, and lean on your higher consciousness and your higher subconscious understanding, because that is what knows the truth, is what's up there, what you're connected to, what you truly are. Don't don't lean on everything that you've learned before. Get rid of all that and, right. and just relearn everything. Learn the right way. Know the truth. Go get to start at the beginning and build yourself up. I mean, that's why there's so many levels and the cosmology diagrams, because you have to go through every single level and you can't jump from one to the other. You have to go through the steps because if you jump too far, you're going to overburden yourself with so much knowledge. You're not going to know what to do with it. And you're going to have a nervous breakdown. I mean, yeah. I've seen people that are on this path that jump around 
Yes, you could be on two different spheres on the tree of life at the same time. Yes, you can. I, I admit it. Yes, I am on a couple, maybe three of them at the same time. But that's because I know I can handle it. And I know that I can understand it. And it all comes together. And it all makes sense. Once you start to realize everything has to go away. Everything that you've been programmed ever since you were a little kid. You know, in every lifetime. You have to strip away all those onion peel. You know, you have to shed every single skin off in order to progress. You have to be that caterpillar, that pupa going into that, that cocoon, and chrysalis and becoming a butterfly. You have to go through every single step. You can't jump from being an egg on a leaf to a butterfly. You have to go through every single step in order to get to that point. Mm-hmm. It's the only way you can free your own mind. You have to go, you have to go through it all and understand it in order to progress. You can't, you can't be indoctrinated by by different things, you know, and yeah. forced into certain ways of thinking. You have to understand for yourself. And I don't, I don't mean like, like, like I said earlier, you, you lean not on your own understanding. You have to take it all away in order to understand and see the truth. You have to not let different, different companies and different, different news sources and, and people that think they know what they're talking about, because you have to figure it all out for yourself. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm so grateful for everything that I've learned and we learn more every single day. I mean, if you open your mind and take that veil off your eyes and realize that there's more to life than what you see. And there's so many different realms and dimensions and it's just, everything just all comes together and makes sense. Once you get to that point and you say, yes, I want to understand. Yes. I I take everything away that, that, that take everything away that I've learned before. You just have to reprogram yourself and you have to understand it all at the same time. If you don't, you just have to do it all over again. I agree. It's just, it, gets, it gets to be so, that's what I'm looking for. And it, it gets to be your own obstacles. You well, have to overcome everything. Yeah. Your own obstacle. Get rid, yeah. Of, get rid of everything you learned before. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, it, it, it's there's a podcast I was listening to my, that a friend of mine does, and um, in as part of the the conversation that he was having, uh, it, it was more politically focused. But he came across an individual that had an opposing, or at least an apparent opposing, political view that he had, and and rather when and and when challenged, rather than you know launching on a, an attack, a counterattack, and you know it becoming a war of words. He asked a question, why do you believe that? And the simple act of asking the question, not, not challenging the belief, but simply asking the person to explain the belief, opened up a dialogue by which by the end of it, they realized they had more in common than, than they thought. And I find yeah. that that's true for most people, but because we have we've internalized and accepted certain beliefs that we were taught from our parents, from our uh, teachers, as our political leaders, you know, when I, my mom's very conservative. And when I was a kid, I wanted to vote for Ross Perot. I didn't know what politics were. I was like 12, but you know, that's what mom liked. So that's what I liked. You, and there's a, there's a, there's a part of our adolescence that is designed around deconstruction, but, but I don't know that for the average person beyond some, some lighthearted rebellion, you know, they, they, they truly do the work of 
deconstructing every belief that they have. You know, mm-hmm. I, I liken it to the alchemist Save Calegula. Like you must separate and take apart everything before you rebuild Break it. Break it all and, down. Yeah. Build it up. And listen, you might find yourself right back where you were if you do that. I mean, it is possible that you'll deconstruct every belief that you hold dear. And then when you put it back together with a fully formed mind that you end up in the exact same place that you started, but it will be earned and it will be built upon something substantial. And if that is the life you choose to live, then, then that's your, that's your choice. And that is uh, respectable. I think that most of us though, we just believe things because we have, because we did, because we were told, because we, it always has been that way. Sometimes because we were forced to. Yeah, exactly. And, and we don't really want to go through the work of saying, why do I believe this? Why do I believe Mm -hmm. this, this institution is correct? Why do I believe the police are good? I don't, I've had a lot of bad run-ins with the police. I know lots of people who think the police are great. Why do they believe Mm -hmm. that? Why do I believe this? Right? Well, if I start to look through my past history and my interactions with the police, it's largely negative. Mm -hmm. So I have a bias. Yeah. I have a bias towards the police because of my personal experiences. Someone who didn't have those experiences and who kind of grew up with the standard line that the police are here to protect and to serve might have a different belief. And, and I'm not, I'm not making a moral judgment as to which one is right. But what I am saying is that by examining and questioning each and every single one of our own beliefs, in earnest and, and open-mindedly, once we put them back together, once we take the clock apart and put it back together, we may find that it wasn't a clock at all, that it was a, you know, that it was a jet engine, that it was a time machine, that it was a who knows what, but, but perhaps the mechanics, while they all might be sound separate, once you put them together with a adult mind in place, you might take yourself from having an etching sketch and you might find that you've got a supercomputer just by virtue of exactly. doing the work that, and, and I think yeah. that simple, and it's not simple, that it, it's a simple concept to explain, but it's not a simple process to go through, but that process, okay. it's important and it's necessary. And, it, and that is the path to me to freedom and to freeing one's mind. It's, it's not changing your mind inherently. It's, it's accepting your beliefs because you've, come to them with a rational brain and not because they were imparted upon you and you just accepted them blindly. Yeah, exactly. Acceptance. Uh, I mean, like being brought up the way that I was, <laughs> I mean, my, I searched my dad because, oh, going back a little bit, my dad's um, family, I looked for them for 30 years because he, my biological dad, he passed away when I was two years old and for my my entire life i looked for his family to see you know well i missed out on knowing all these people he had 12 siblings and um and i was like well i would like to find them you know to kind of find family because my mother's family didn't accept me because when i left the pentecostal church they turned their back on me and they said oh she's a witch you know they, i don't like her she's wrong she's a satanist and everything so I, I don't want anything to do with her so they kind of turned their back on me and kind of pushed me out of the family and so i willingly left when i was 19 and i started looking for my dad's family you know to 
to try to find them to see if you know if I had anything in common with them. And so it took me all that time to find them. And I just literally found them this time. And um, no, it was August of last year. That's when I found them. And the only um, there was only one sibling that was left living, and her family took me in. You know, and they accepted me. They led me to believe that they cared about me. And turn around, they were also Pentecostal, and I didn't know that until I was already involved with them. Mm-hmm. And I started explaining that. And they're like, "Oh, what are you doing with these oils? What are you doing with these candles and these crystals?" And they seemed interested. And I started explaining, just not telling them everything that I did, but kind of giving them an idea. You know, this. Oh. Uh, I, I'm in the astrotheology, you know, and, and I study the stars and planets and how they affect uh, the world and, and, us, and us, you know, and, and here's some books if you want to, I gave them some basic books, you know, to kind of explain it to them because my cousin looked like she was really interested. Mm-hmm. She was only a couple of years younger than me. And at the end of the relationship that I had with them, they did a forced exorcism on me. Wow. And it was one of the worst, most traumatic experiences that I've ever gone through in my life because I thought that they loved me. I thought they cared about me. And I thought that I was going to have somebody in my life that I could get along with. That was part of my dad's family because in, in spending time with them, I felt like I was spending time partially with my dad because he was related to them through blood and I was related to them through blood. And at this point now, a year later, Yes, it was part of my purpose to meet. It was part of my path to meet them, be part of my life because they're not going to change. I mean, they're choosing to be that way. They're choosing to be indoctrinated by somebody and to be forced into that life. And they try to force me into it. So I can't have them in my life anymore because they're not going to be on my path later on down the line. They're not going to be part of my life now. They're, they're not here and I understand that 100%, and I accept it. So I'm okay with the whole situation that happened. Yes, it was horrible what they did to me, but I've forgiven them, not for them, but for myself, because that's you. when you trust them, especially family, then you're always gonna have it hanging over your head. That's part of that baggage that you have to shed in order to progress. You can't hold on to the past like that. You know, I've forgiven everybody that I've ever done anything wrong to me in my life, because if you hold on to it, you can't go any further. You're gonna get stuck and be stagnant like everybody else, you know, that, that you're trying to help, try to save. You can't be like that. You can't have that in your life. And you can't rely on that to get you through life because you have to be 100% weightless in, in, in your mind and in your soul. And then you have to understand everything happened for a reason. Everything happened for a purpose. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's the, that is the best outlook to have. And I, it's very evident that your past experiences might have broken a lesser person, but you've chosen to grow from them and learn from them and become stronger from them and to reframe your viewpoint on life because of those experiences and then pay that forward, pay that energy forward, be an accepting person, being a loving person, being a person who spreads joy and understanding and support. And I think that that shouldn't be understated. It's a big deal in this day and age to have someone who can take their past traumas and say, I, those things happen to me. Those things may be informed part of who I am, but those things do not define me. I exactly. define me. 
and I define my future. And so sort of with that being said, you know, you've made your move to New Orleans and what, what do you, if you look into your orb, if you ponder your orb, what is your future looking like going forward? And, and how are you looking to be that force of light for folks and, um, and, and share what you've learned and pay that for it so that potentially you could be that, that, that person, that voice, that experience that someone listens to, hears, and then says, oh, they've gone through that and they made it through the other side. So can I, like, what are your now, what is your goal, your will going forward now that you've you know, made it to this place that you've always wanted to be to you. What is, what is the future looking like for you? Basically, um, I would like to buy a church. Uh, I, I've been looking at one. It's, it costs a lot, but I, I would, I think I know how I can get all the money together for it. Um, I, I just want to just have something where people can come and, and I, I, I know um, Damien has the idea uh, for Magnum Opus, but I, I would, I would like to do something along those lines you know, eventually down the line here in New Orleans, you know, to help people and to kind of teach them, you know, the right way, you know, and how to stay on the path. Because I just, I just want to help as many people as I possibly can. Um, I, I just want to be one of those people that people come to, you know, for guidance, you know, and to teach them the right way. And I know a lot of people are probably on that path already. And I just want to reestablish that everyone you know, that's, that's on the path to enlightenment and the path to, you know, getting to that point in their lives that, that they can, you know, reach that, reach the point where they're not plateauing anymore and they can learn and just keep leveling up. You know, I, I just, I want to be like one of those people that leads people to that, to that light, you know, because it's being taught, you know, everything that I have been, you know, as a child, you know, I just, I just want to use that doctorate degree that I have, you know, and, and help as many people as possible in this life, you know, so people can get to that point where, where they don't have to worry about coming back and reliving trauma again, you know, reincarnating, you know, as many times as possible, you know, in order to get to that point where they feel like they're ready to transcend, you know, I, I want them to get to that point in this lifetime. And I just, I hope there's a way for me to do that. That's why I wanted to come down here in the first place, you know, was just to reach out and just have some type of, you know, like a, a place for people to go where they can learn the right way, stay on the right path and to be able to transcend. That's, uh, That's I mean, what I want. I can't think of a better goal in life than that. Um, for anyone who is listening who is maybe hearing your voice for the first time, hearing your goals for the first time and wants to reach out, wants to connect, wants to follow your journey. What's the best way for them to find you, connect with you um, so that they can either be allow you to help be that light for them and maybe help share your experiences and, or to work with you and maybe aid in, in your journey. Uh, the best way to contact me would be through Twitter because that's um, basically where I do everything that or uh, discord. Um, I'm Vegas vamp everywhere as everyone listening probably knows by now because <laughs> I've made myself a presence. <laughs> um, it, if they reach out to me through that, uh, even um, through some of the people that, that we know, you know, say when I ask them, 
because uh, we have a big community now. Just basically, I, I look at Brother Damien as someone who has shined that light in the darkness and have led so many people to this path. I mean, like there's there's a lot of things going on um, that right now that he's working on, and I I see all of that as a bright light that's it's going to help so many people, and I just can't stress that enough. I, it's looking at people walking around on the streets that don't that don't have a, their way. I mean, like it it hurts and it chokes me up just talking about it because I just I just want people to know that that they have a purpose in this life and they, they have a reason for that they're here. I mean, so many people have gone through so many bad things. So, so traumatic experiences and, and, and things that have changed them. I mean, I just, I just want people to know that, that, that they're, they don't have an end, you know, I mean, everything is eternal, you know, just, and they have to keep moving forward you know, no matter what happens in your life, you know, some things, everything that has happened to us, like you said earlier, it, it, it may have happened, but it doesn't define us because we can still keep going and we can still find our path and we can still find this path. And it, seriously, magic has, has saved my life. I mean, Brother Damien has saved my life in ways you have saved my life. I mean, everybody is there for a purpose and we're all part of this together we're all in this together and i just want those people out there that feel like they're lost we can help them i agree and i just want them to know that that we seriously we can help them get to the right place that they need to be there's no there's no reason why they can't go now even if they're older i mean i know some people in the discord and in, in damien's community that are older that that found it recently in their seventies and eighties. I mean, there's, there's no reason that anybody, you know, anybody can do this now. They just have to have to find us. Well, that's amazing. Thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you for using your past to be a light for people going forward. Uh, thank you for the time today. I, I really have enjoyed talking with you, connecting with you further. I, I love everything that you're doing and that you will do. And I, I fully support it. So Steph, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Um, you know, we'll do this again very soon, I'm sure. And the moment I get an opportunity, I'm going to get down to New Orleans and, uh, and maybe we can break bread together. That sounds good to me. Uh, I, would, I would greatly appreciate that. I'd enjoy time spending time with you here. I'll show you all the great places that I found. I think that would be absolutely amazing. <laughs> I'm sure we'll make it happen sooner than later. So uh, thank you so much. Yes. Have a have a wonderful day. And anyone who is listening, please follow Vegas Vamp. Uh, it is a beacon on an otherwise hellscape of an app on Twitter. And, and I really appreciate everything that you do. Thank you so much. It was great talking to you. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Likewise. Take care. I would like to thank Stephanie once again, a.k.a. Vegas Vamp, for being on the show and sharing so much about her personal life, both with her uh, upbringing and her interactions with her family, oftentimes tragic, as well as her motivations and her goals and her aspirations to put her, uh, what she has learned and her experiences over time to good use and to pay it forward and to help lift other people who might be seeking that same guidance. So often many of us go through tragedies and, and tribulations in life and we don't have anyone who's there to support us. We don't have anyone who understands. We don't have anyone who has walked those same miles that we're 
on a journey on. And it can feel very lonely in those moments when you're going through hardships in life, be they medical or emotional or trying to overcome trauma or loss. Oftentimes, the people who are the, supposed to be the closest to us don't understand that journey that we walk. And it's when we're making that journey alone that we need a beacon of hope. Just someone else who can relate to us, who can understand to us, who can um, listen to your hardships and truly understand what you're trying to share with them. And too often we get consumed with our own needs, our own problems, our own uh, in inclinations and addictions and all these other things. And they deserve their valid attention as well. But if we can, when we can, be that light for someone on their own journey. Be that person who understands. Be that person who doesn't choose to be guarded, shielded, bitter, cynical, but instead someone who thinks to themselves a simple act of kindness can make the world a difference. I hope that coming out of this conversation with Stephanie, you got to learn not only some really fascinating facts about exorcism and how it works within certain faiths, but also, and most importantly, this need to disconnect from these false communities and societies that we have built digitally and start reminding ourselves that we can, by the smallest of efforts, really impact positively someone's life. And uh, what better way to spend the talents and the skills that were God-given and divine-given than to make someone else's life a little bit better. So that's my spiel for today. I want to thank you all for listening. I want to thank Stephanie again for being on the podcast. And until next time, gold rings on you all.